Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest, a podcast on electromagnetic spectrum operations, or EMSO. I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. You can follow me on Twitter at FTCNHost. Thank you for listening. Well, greetings from San Antonio, Texas. I am on the road this week to meet with stakeholders down here in the Lone Star State and to attend a conference focusing mostly on cyber operations. It's a pretty good show, uh, but I have to say it's not as good as our 60th annual AOC Symposium and Convention that's just around the corner, which is an obvious plug for that event coming up on December 11th to 13th. Looking forward to that event. The theme for the convention is advancing EMS superiority through strategic alliances and partnerships. Uh, We have a great slate of keynote speakers and uh, sessions coming to you. Uh, From the Crow's Nest will also be there, obviously. We're going to be releasing episodes each day, talking to many of our keynote speakers. Uh, We're really looking forward to those uh, episodes. And then I'll also be live streaming from the exhibit floor each day from the convention in the afternoon. So whether you want to download the daily episodes or participate and join in on the live stream on the exhibit floor, you can do that. And you don't have to be attending the the convention to join into the live streams. But uh, certainly we would love to have uh, attendees participate as well. Uh, my guest for this week is Dylan Dupelshane. He is the chief engineer for the U.S. Air Force 350th Spectrum Warfare Wing. A couple episodes ago, I had the privilege to interview Colonel Joshua Koslov, the commander of the wing. Uh, we talked about what the wing is working on from an organizational and strategic planning perspective. I then went to Warner Robins Air Force Base last month to attend the detachment ceremonies that were taking place and had the opportunity to meet Dylan while I was down there and uh, wanted to have him on the show to really discuss much of what the wing is working on, but from a technology perspective. So it's a great conversation, and and I look forward to bringing that to you. Uh, Before I get to him, a couple other uh, pieces of news that I do want to share. The the first is earlier this week on November 13th, the Biden administration released its national spectrum strategy, which really sets the pathway for how the administration and the government as a whole is going to be approaching some of the challenges of spectrum availability, including spectrum sharing and, and, and allocation and things of that nature. It's a major landmark report or strategy that's been a long time coming. We've been looking for it for a couple months now, and it's a collaboration between NTIA and FCC. So I would commend that report to you in part because our next episode coming out in a couple weeks, uh, I sit down with uh, Gordon Mansfield from AT&T to talk about this very topic. Uh, it, we knew the report was on the horizon, and so we wanted to have a deeper dive into some of the challenges and opportunities with spectrum sharing and how do we really kind of meet the spectrum needs for both commercial and military sectors. So good report, and we'll put the link in the show notes. The other piece of news is we are wrapping up our 2023 episode calendar. Uh, We have a couple more episodes coming to you, and of course, we'll be at the convention. 
when we come back in January, a major change is going to happen. We are going to be beginning a subscriber package. We will continue to release two episodes a month, free to everybody as normal. But then also we will be offering for subscribers only two additional episodes where I sit down with a rotating group of co-hosts, including John Knowles from the Journal of Electromagnetic Dominance, Jeff Fisher, who has been here on the show uh, regularly to talk about Ukraine and some of the challenges over there. Uh, We'll be sitting down to talk about what's going on in the world. The great thing about these sessions is that as a subscriber, you can actually join our recording, ask questions. Uh, It's completely live, unedited, and then we'll package it and put it out the next day for those subscribers who cannot participate in the live stream. So we're going to start that in January. The subscription will start uh, probably on March 1st. Uh, so that for the first couple months, everything's going to be free, kind of get everybody familiar with the process and what's what's offered. But I think it'll be a great opportunity to get a lot more content out to our listeners. The key thing, though, is for the subscription, if you are an AOC member, that subscription is free. So we encourage you to become an AOC member because then it's free and, and, and you can participate. If you're not an AOC member, you'll have to pay a small subscription fee on a, a monthly or annual basis. So with that, I'd like to welcome my guest for this episode, uh, Dylan Duplechain. He is the chief engineer of the U.S. Air Force 350th Spectrum Warfare Wing. Dylan, it's great to have you here on From the Crow's Nest. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Ken. Thanks for hosting me from the Crow's Nest as well. We're recording this on uh, November 1st. And so we were both last week at this time, we were at Warner Robins Air Force Base in Georgia at the 350th Spectrum Warfare Wing ceremony for the Assumption of Command for the Detachments. You were there. It was great to meet you in person. It was great to meet your entire team. And of course, you know, Colonel Koslov and, and, and everybody. Just to kind of start us off, though, you know, I wanted to kind of get your perspective on that event. What was kind of going through your mind in terms of where the Spectrum Warfare Wing has come from over its two, slightly over two plus years uh, in existence? Yeah, so we really enjoyed the opportunity to to go to middle Georgia and meet with the local community and are looking forward to growing on Robbins Air Force Base. That's a big part of our wing's growth. So a couple of years ago at Wing Stand Up, our guidance was to consolidate and modernize a reprogrammed enterprise. And a big part of that consolidation and modernization is what we're going to do at Robbins Air Force Base for the 950th. And that's the EW assessments and readiness portion of our mission set. While we get after new capabilities in the electromagnetic spectrum, it's very important to understand are those capabilities having impacts and doing what they need to do to help us win the war. So that mission will be focused specifically on those assessments for the Air Force. Now, I, a couple uh, episodes ago, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Colonel Koslov, uh, the commander of the 350th. Uh, it's a great conversation. We focused on just about every aspect of the the wing. But uh, I w- really wanted to have the opportunity to have you on the show because it's really important to kind of dive into the a lot of these issues from a t- pure technology standpoint. And one of the things that he spoke a lot about was, and you touched on it, this evolution of the mission of the Spectrum Warfare Wing and your focus particularly on target waveform development and assessment. Could you talk specifically about what that is and and how the, the, the wing has evolved over the years, particularly in terms of this role in this area? Absolutely. I'll start with the target waveform development. We do a lot of reprogramming in this wing. 
And part of that reprogramming is with respect to Jammer technique development. And so for target waveform development, it's a growth area in our wing. There are a lot of different organizations across industry, R&D operations that do jamming. We in the United States Air Force have not achieved the consolidation in, of that yet. So our wing is focused on bringing that together to ensure all of the weapon systems that do that mission set can use the best available techniques. So part of that is actually finding the right targets to jam that have the best effects and then coming up with those best techniques to do that. There's a lot of different organizations that do that. Our goal is to bring that together, prioritize it, and then distribute it to the entire portfolio of systems we support. I was just going to kind of build on that, you know, from an engineering perspective, uh, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the Air Force hasn't quite achieved the, the that consolidation yet. In some ways, you might be saying you're trying to catch up a little bit, but from a, a threat perspective that's out there, how hard is it to keep up with this fast evolving, the fast evolving threat technology that's out there? I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, we're going to consolidate, but like, how do you keep up with that on a day-to-day basis? The threat's changing And we do have different approaches to come up with techniques that can be effective. And we're in development and requirements generation for better jammers and better systems that can counter these threats. We also have to work with what we got in our portfolio today. So what we do in that case is we make sure that we can prioritize the different systems. And if we know we cannot counter something that's, that is superior to the systems we have, then we look for another entry point to, to deceive those, those systems. So it doesn't have to be the one particular system that we can't beat because that system is probably part of a larger system and there's probably entry in other places. I think that's a really interesting point because a lot of times when we talk about advanced technology, we're always, we, we tend to focus our energy right on the new bright, shiny object that's on the horizon that we could that we can chase. But the fact is that across the services, we have many legacy systems out there that are going to continue to do the mission for decades. And being able to understand how those legacy systems come together and work with some of the new technology and what, like you mentioned, the, those other entry points into the thread, I think is, is, is a really excellent perspective. Can you provide some of the insight into some of the key milestones in the development of the this target waveform development and assessment as you're moving forward. Absolutely. So in addition to the actual technical work of jamming and technique uh, development, we are organizationally posturing with the wing. So we're getting after the mission. But in addition to that, during wing stand-up, you have to set the organization on a path for success. So we're adding and posturing these units to do that mission specifically. Today, the different teams that develop waveforms for their EW systems, they're in different squadrons. We're going to consolidate that into one of our squadrons to make sure that we can then distribute it across all of our platforms we support. We're additionally, we're developing strategic partnerships with the U.S. Navy and the Intel community to ensure that we're not doing this alone and we can make sure that we also have the best information available to us to do this. I wanted to move to uh, another topic that is 
is in line with the idea of you know having to modernize what the the systems that you have out in the force today, um, and and that that modernization of the rapid reprogramming capability. In our conversations, you mentioned uh, focus on crowdsource flight data and digital transformation, as well as software in the loop efforts. Could you talk a little bit about what those pieces are in terms and what role they play in rapid reprogramming? When we're talking about modernizing reprogramming, we're talking about two things. We're talking about better quality and going faster. And what we found through crowdsource flight data, CSFD, is we can take back some of the timeline for reprogramming. And what I mean by that is, if, if a weapon system encounters an unknown threat or an unknown mode, they're not going to properly ID that thing. They're, we're going to get feedback in our wing that says, hey, I need this fixed. I need to be able to see this thing to avoid it or to, to shoot it or to jam it. Part of that process requires collection of information, analysis of information, and decision-making to say, this is what that thing was. That's a, that's a big Intel community function. Sometimes when we get a call back from the warfighter, the Intel community may not have a, a lens on that particular thing. But if the platform that was being used collects information, we can do some analysis on that information and respond appropriately. So crowdsource flight data has given us the opportunity to react to things that we are seeing that we didn't see before. And, and the beauty of it is Sometimes um, there's never a complete picture of what's out there. And sometimes whenever our assets get into the region, things that weren't on turn on. And if the Intel focus wasn't on that region at that time, they may have missed something. But these operational platforms can pick up this information. So it's very, very useful to us. So we are now able to get this information make some decisions on it by bouncing it across different things to ensure you know we're getting the right answer and then we can refill that that's a faster loop for updating these files could you talk a little bit about this notion of when we talk about fast reprogramming fast transmission of information and data could you give us some insight in terms of what that means when you're talking about the crowdsource flight data and collecting that and analyzing it and sending it to to the the warfighter uh, versus how maybe we've done it in in the past in terms of how much faster it is i mean because i when we hear about advanced threat technology it's in the milliseconds and it, i can't imagine the challenge it is to try to make sure that you're getting that information as fast as you need it no so we aren't so what what we do the threat is eventually going to change much faster than this current timeline but, the, but us collecting this data is letting, we are now able to hone in our skills and our analysis so that whenever this data shows up real time, we'll have the software tools in place to kick out updates real time. So the crowdsource flight data is a resource today that helps us modernize because foundational infrastructure and networks and live stream of data doesn't exist across the portfolio today. We will get there one day in the meantime, we are taking this information and we are turning things faster than we did before. But like you said, we need to get faster for the future.
Hello, everyone. I want to take a short break to thank BAE Systems Fast Labs for the continued support for our From the Crow's Nest podcast. I am pleased to be here today with Bill Watson, Chief Scientist at BAE Systems Fast Labs. Bill, it's great to be here with you. Now, BAE Systems Fast Labs is BAE Systems Research and Development and Production Organization. Can you tell us a little bit about Fast Labs as well as your background? Yes, and thank you for having me. A BA Systems Fast Labs is dedicated to innovating, disruptive next generation solutions for the critical defense and intelligence challenges. Of course, electronic warfare is one of our key focus areas, but in addition to that, we also do research in autonomy and AI, sensing and response, advanced microelectronics, communications, and navigation. I've been working in the RF, that is radio frequency research community for over 20 years, a short time in the United States Air Force, followed by specific research and development. My work in the last 20 years has been singularly focused on DARPA research and within the last 10 years at BAE Systems Fast Lab specifically. Technology we work on spans sensor processing to high-level sense making up to tactical and operational level autonomy and decision-making support. And one of the key differentiators about BAE Fast Labs is the research that we do uh, is intended to find its way to benefit the warfighter. This has been an important topic through many of our recent episodes here on From the Crow's Nest. Can you talk a little bit more about that technology and for our audience, how does it change or affect our EW capabilities that we're trying to field? In our work with leading uh, DoD customers like DARPA or AFRL, we focus on developing technologies that will uh, advance future solutions from overcoming today's challenges to developing technologies never before thought to be possible. We then transition our technology to feelable products benefit our warfighters through partnership with BA Systems Electronic Systems product lines. As a specific example, I thought I'd use a movie you may or may not be familiar with. It was called Battle Los Angeles. It was from 2011. And in that movie, aliens had invaded. And what the characters in the movie found is that whenever they keyed their microphones on their radios, they could be easily geolocated and targeted. What the movie presented as science fiction for us is, in fact, science fact. This is the type of technology that we work on and exist today where the physics meets the real world. This sounds like absolutely fascinating work. What is the next area that you see for research and development? And if anyone is interested in learning more, how can they reach out to you? Well, we can't say too much because of the sensitivity of our work at classification levels. But in Fast Labs, we are always working on the future state. No matter what the future threats are, we will continue to focus on solving the hardest problems to benefit the warfighter. If you're interested in more information about Fast Labs, you can connect with us on our website at basystems.com slash fastlabs. Well, thank you, Bill, for joining me here on From the Crow's Nest. And now it's time to get back to our show. So I wanted to touch quickly on another aspect of this. It's the acronym CIDL, Software in the Loop, and, and how that specifically works with the crowdsourced flight data and, and, and some of the other efforts that you're working on with rapid reprogramming? So, so far in the loop, today, when you think about reprogramming, part of reprogramming is test. Did we reprogram correctly? If you were to come to the Spectrum Warfare Wing and, and tour our spaces, what you'll find is we have large signal generators and we have the aircraft hardware and we stimulate that and that's how we test our systems. RF signal generation and then did the, the, the LRU or did the, the electronic warfare box in the jet respond appropriately. With 70 different systems we support 
and all of the systems that are coming down the pike, we can't continue to buy that model for verification and validation. We need software models of these hardware systems. And that way the lab could equal a server rack, not a large building with a lot of equipment. And if we do that, our support to these labs is easier. We can do things faster. A model can be tested with way more iterations. We're working with acquisition to ensure that future systems that come down have software models that are validated to represent the hardware versus sending us actual aircraft hardware. Another piece of the puzzle that we talked about last week was, it's another acronym. I think it's Agile Integrated Reprogramming. So the acronym is AIR. Could you talk about how that fits into this puzzle with crowdsourced flight data and, and software in the loop? Absolutely. The AIR process, it, you could think of it like, if you know the EWARE process, electro, uh, electromagnetic warfare integrated reprogramming, it's basically the Intel community and the operational reprogramming community process to, to create mission data files. Typically, what you see is the requirements for these weapon systems to go into an AOR, that entire process, what things will they encounter? How do I best mechanize these files? That, that's the eWare process. When we're talking about air, we're talking about the quick reaction to shorten that normal process. So if we have, for example, if we have an F-35 that's going to Southwest Asia, we're gonna prepare that thing. When it gets there though, it's gonna encounter things we didn't know. So air is a way we rapidly respond to that changing environment. So CSFD is the collection of information to help us update these files. The agile integrated reprogramming is, is a way we describe the process to, to go faster uh, in a quick reaction sense. One of the hats that I wear for the AOC is I have to go through the defense budget. And it's always interesting because when you go through the budget documentation, there's so many buzzwords that fly around. And those buzzwords, you know, have a purpose. But one of the buzzwords that seems to show up all the time is cognitive. And in EW, it's the same thing. We talk about cognitive EW all the time. And then we usually stop with our explanation of, well, it's, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Could you talk a little bit about, from a Spectrum Warfare Wing's perspective, talk a little bit about how you approach this notion of cognitive EW as a capability? And could you clarify, like, how it might differ in terms of your mission from how other people might perceive it. Cognitive EW or cognitive electromagnetic warfare, when we say it, it doesn't describe a specific capability. So electromagnetic warfare can be broken down into electromagnetic warfare support, electromagnetic attack, or electromagnetic protection. With respect to the spectral warfare wing, we focus specifically on the support and the attack piece, not the protection piece. So when I hear cognitive EW, the spectrum warfare wing is doing the ES and the EA functions, but that still doesn't tell me anything about a capability. So we know that machine learning, automation, artificial intelligence can help us make decisions to go faster. So today with respect to cognitive EW, we are focusing on access to data, the infrastructure to host the data, and to analyze this data and to develop software capabilities to make decisions on that data. With that in mind, then, what are some of the specific objectives that uh, the wing 
is pursuing when it comes to cognitive EW in the, in the support and attack functions? I'll give you a specific example. If an F-35 collects a lot of crowdsourced flight data, today we do not get that data back automatically. There's, there's a laborious process where data is transferred through multiple networks and then it's placed on one of our networks. We also do not have the software tools in place that can comb through all of this data to find the anomalies. We're, we rely on feedback from the operational community. So what we're talking about is for cognitive EW in that sense, we need machine learning and artificial intelligence tools to help us find these anomalies. Um, and so we're partnering with industry and R&D organizations to help us with that. One of the themes that you know we've been talking about here in this conversation, as well as when I had uh, Colonel Kostov on the show, is obviously the pace of the fight. From an engineering perspective, as the chief engineer, when you're talking about you know kind of staying on the forefront of cognitive EW, what are some of the opportunities on the horizon that you see that either keep you up at night or just really excite you about the, the possibilities that are at our fingertips in this capability? I think that the CSFD aspect of this has been really eye-opening for us. We have seen that we can do things faster with higher quality with this data. There's other uses of this data that, for example, future sensor development and the way we can jam things based on the way things transmit. So the collection of this information has been really enlightening to us. We are starting to share those collects with other communities acquisition, R&D, and industry to ensure that everyone can continue to analyze through machine learning or artificial intelligence to find new ways to, to create new capabilities. To stay at the forefront, though, fundamentally, we need to invest in the infrastructure and the we, we need to invest in the infrastructure to be able to host and process cognitive capabilities. So, Today, there are many examples of machine learning algorithms or artificial intelligence. But in the Air Force, our weapon systems that are fielded today may not have been designed to host those types of things. Um, so what we're doing today to stay at the forefront is in our own networks, we are modernizing our infrastructure to host these types of things, to mature these types of things, so that when they go on board or at the edge we started maturing these algorithms. You mentioned you know, the role of industry, and obviously in your position, you have to engage industry a lot. You mentioned the, the important role that industry plays in this, and, and as chief engineer, you obviously have to engage industry regularly. What are some of the things that you need from industry moving forward? What are some of the things that they can do to help you achieve some of the goals that you've set forth here in, in, in our conversation? Okay, we meet with a lot of lot of industry partners, and there's a lot of good technology out there. What we try to do when we meet with them is the hard part for us is the data that we use today. It lives on classified systems, and we we struggle with the ability to remove it from those systems to downgrade it. And if we do downgrade it, removing some of the important information from that data, so. We focus a lot actually on the, the ability to work with industry by, by asking them to be part of our team, be part of our workspaces and bring their technologies to us and work together versus contracting out 
a request for software tools to be delivered or stuff like that. We've talked a lot about the role of technology. Um, as chief engineer, you have to work with a lot of people as well. Uh, workforce has always been kind of an issue that has slowed the evolution of a lot of electromagnetic warfare capabilities over the years across the services. We know we need the people, but we just don't have enough people out there. Could you talk about that challenge from the, the, the wings perspective and what are some of the things that you are focused on as chief engineer to, to make sure that we fill all the uh, the civilian workforce that we need to to accomplish the mission? Ken, the, uh, the stand-up of the Spectrum Warfare Wing came with lots of civilian billets. And we knew that going from status quo to filling a bunch of billets was going to require some strategy on our part. In-house, we developed something called the Crow College. And what that does is um, it, it's basically a professional development program that we are allowing our workforce to develop. And, and what we've done is we marketed it across our workforce, our current workforce. And kicking it off, we're basically allowing them to develop their skills for leadership, communications, critical thinking, innovative teaming, professional competencies, and project management. So that's just internal. But what we're doing also is when we are recruiting individuals, we've done, it over the past year, we've been to 15 colleges and we have two more in the next couple of weeks, we are able to describe these things that we are putting in place in our wing to entice the recruits to come this way. We're also describing our mission set and the impact to the warfighter. That's, that's always an important selling point for us is if you work for us, you're going to have a, an immediate impact to the warfighter. We do our best with incentives. So if, if there's opportunities to sweeten the pot, I guess, we, we try to do that when we can. But through these civilian professional development programs we're setting up and through significant recruiting events, that's how we're tackling the problem. And so last question, I, I know that uh, you have a busy schedule. I really appreciate you taking time uh, to join me, but just wanted to touch base on one other topic, partnerships and, and collaborations around the world. Yeah, The AOC 60th International Symposium Convention is right around the corner. The theme of this year's uh, symposium is, of course, you know, building uh, strategic international partnerships with our partners and allies. My episode last week with retired U.S. Army Colonel Lori Buckout, we talked a lot about uh, interoperability and compatibility of systems. And I wanted to get your perspective on how important this is and how do you go about this from an engineering perspective to make sure that our systems are talking to one another as it pertains to our allies and partners around the world? That's a great question. We have a large portfolio of systems we support. They were acquired individually. So there's about 70 systems we reprogram today, and those systems don't talk to each other. What we do, though, is we have partnered with AFL, CMC, and A26L to ensure that whenever we're acquiring EW systems, they're meeting standards, they can share information, they're more reprogrammable. So we're, we're, we're involved with the community to ensure that the future doesn't look like the past with respect to acquisition. That doesn't mean that we can't or we aren't working together in our wing to share processes, to make things faster, to do things better. We support 40 different countries and all the U.S. services. So we're always talking to the community. Well, well thank you, Dylan, for you know taking some time to join me today. Again, it was great to talk with you. Great to see you last week at the uh, Warner Robins ceremony. And you know, I know the AOC and myself, we're both look, we're looking forward to continuing to build that relationship with the Spectrum Warfare Wing and your team out there. But want to thank you again for joining me. It's a great conversation. 
Thank you very much, Ken. That will conclude this episode of From the Crow's Nest. I want to thank my guest, Dylan Dupleshane, for joining me. I also want to remind you once again that AOC's 60th Annual International Symposium and Convention is just around the corner, December 11th to 13th. From the Crow's Nest will be there. Looking forward to releasing episodes, uh, interviewing many of our keynote speakers throughout the week. Also, don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners, so please take some time to let us know how we're doing. That's it for today. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at FTCN Host. Thank you for listening. FastLabs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com/fastlabs.